Hello and thank you for tuning into the Young and Anointed podcast. This is a place for deep conversations about mindset, stewardship, and the development of a relentless pursuit of your passions. This podcast is a Sky Media production, and we hope that you enjoy the show. Thank you. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Young and Anointed podcast. Today is a very special day. My name is Martel. As you know, we have, uh, sadly, sadly, guys, I, I, Karen's not going to be joining us today, but today is her birthday. So if you have her phone number, I need you to get out, get that out right now. I need you to call her. I need you to sing happy birthday to her immediately. And if she doesn't respond, leave a message and then call her back again and tell her <laughs> Martel sent you. Today is her birthday. She just had a really tough stomach surgery, surgery, so she can't actually be on the show today. She's a little out of it, but that did bring something else. It's very different. Today is today. We're gonna have the first our first guest on the show, first ever guest of the Young and Anointed podcast, episode number eight. Let me tell you a little about him before I bring him on. So this man is the president, CEO, and CCO of EL, ALE Wealth Management Firm. He's been in the financial industry since 1980. Uh, this man is a speaker, a mentor, a teacher, uh, an Olympic trials competitor. He's been on AM 1200 inside Detroit with Mildred Gaddis, CBS, uh, Channel 7, Detroit, PBS, uh, Detroit Free Press, Michigan Chronicle, you name it, he's been on it. Um, this man also is the first African-American to be named the top producer of a major investment firm. I don't know if you if you can actually I don't know if you understand how big that is, but but the first the first and that's huge. Uh, his accolades, if, if you stood on top of him, you could touch the moon. Um, one of them, just to name. He was an entrepreneur. He was the entrepreneur. He got the Entrepreneur of the Year Award at Alabama A&M University it's Alumni Social Association. Everybody, please help me in welcoming Mr. Ellis Liddell. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. That was such a, that was such a pump up. I had to look around the room, make sure you were talking about me still. But thank you. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. And uh, the other piece of that that you left out was that you uh, had an, uh, a great relationship with ELE Wealth Management, the company that I formed, and that you, too, uh, count yourself among those who were mentees. Yep. 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 I was there. Actually, this was <clears throat> you guys wouldn't know this, but it was my my first internship. I was actually shadowing him for the whole summer when I first got back to Michigan. And uh, it was awesome. It was great. It was great. The office. Funny thing is, the office is filled with women. <laughs> They're all just incredibly smart, and they they really they really run the place. And I guess you know he gets to feature in it too. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and and you're right. Uh, just you know, talented uh, women who made a huge difference. When I was de developing my design for the business, I looked to the black church. And even though the black church has lots of deacons in it, the mothers really run 
fundraising and all those things that at the end of the day matter a lot. So I said, I like this model. So I'm going to pull this model in. And even though you saw the ladies in the office, there are lots of, of, of women that are reps as well as not in the office doing office work, but also out there meeting with the customers and clients You know, all over the country. Uh, we've got people who are registered under the license that I have. So we can make a huge difference, uh, but I prefer to have people around me, like you said, who are very smart, very talented, and we can get it done. And whether that's a male or female, but we got we gather them around us to help us to look good, as you say. <laughs> awesome. awesome, awesome. So let's just go ahead because I know we ain't got you ain't we ain't had a credible amount of time. So let's just jump right into it. Okay. My first question for you, by the way, the the title of this show is "Living in Your Dream," uh, because Mr. Ellis Liddell is a person who has done it. The dude made it. The dude is living actually in his dream. He's he's so the show is the young and anointed podcast about people who have stirred up their anointing and uh, lived inside of their purpose. And this guy represents that. And so that's why I thought it was really important to actually have him here as a guest today. And I'm and I appreciate you deciding to uh, to stop by. But um, yeah. after all that you've all that you've done and all that you're doing, you what would you say makes you different? So so you so you were in the Olympic trials. Say you've you've crossed the million dollar mark. You've helped a lot of people to do a lot of things. Like, but but what would you say is something that makes you different? I think I utilize everything that I've been exposed to in everything that I do every day. So in other words, my failures as well as my successes, they all get mixed in the bowl that I'm getting ready to serve. Uh, when a client walks into the office and they talk about they were young and they failed at something, I can say, I too failed at my first business and I did better with my second business. But the third one was the charm and genuine. Uh, back in, in the 90s, I made a million dollars with a speaker's bureau. I booked people like Spike Lee and Colin Powell and Maya Angelou and Les Brown and, and Ayala Van Zant, uh Fix My Life on OWN. I booked those people to go out and give speeches, but I didn't have a formula for how I got their speaking engagements. So the first year I made a million dollars, the second year I made a half a million, the third year I made 250. You say, wait a minute, that's going backwards. Yeah, and I no longer have that business. <laughs> I went backwards all the way out of that business. So, but that taught me a lesson because now I have a formula for why ELE Wealth Management works. But I didn't know I needed a formula until I failed at it that fourth year when I had to close it down. So it just kind of tells you that if you let your life lessons be stepping stones, you keep going higher and higher. Does that mean I didn't have times where that I needed ten dollars for gas or I wanted to just you know quit on myself? Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I had those times. And but I use all of that to say never again. I won't go backwards. I, I'm going to go forward. So my business plan for yearly wealth management was wrote on a pad about the size of my hand. That was my entire business plan, right? 
However, on the bottom of that business plan, the goal was to earn 20 million. And I managed to do that last goal on that list four years ago. And this wow. is 20 years of being in the practice on my own, but I hit that number and it didn't come a million a year, a million a year. No, no, it came, it came 350 and then 550, then 850. And it just kept going until I finally found that place that was consistent for me. Then I met someone, a gentleman who graduated from Wharton and, you know, MBA from Wharton. And he said to me, how much time are you spending working on your business versus working in your business? Crickets. Correct. It was quiet. Because <laughs> I had spent, I didn't spend any time working on my business. I spent all my time working in the business. So he said, first start out just taking one day a week to work on your business. So I chose Fridays. And when that first Friday came up, I had no idea what I was going to do to work on the business because I didn't have a formula for working on the business. I'm so used to working in the business. So that first day, I just went and played golf. And then eventually I came up with things I could do to create opportunities. So now on my Fridays, when I'm working on the business, I may think of an idea for someone else. I've got other people who I'm working with and my ideas may be for them. It might not be for me, but it's helped them to become to do a, a million dollars in sales. So it's, it's more of not all your quiet time is just your time. Sometimes it's other people's because you're quiet, allowing the Lord to just talk to you. Right. You want to listen to the spirit. So when you listen to the spirit, you know, today might not be Ellis Dale's day. It might be Martell's day. <laughs> if Martell comes up in my spirit. My job is to let, let that download occur. Reach out to Martell and share with him what I got from Martell. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of how that works. Gotcha. So so listening to the Holy Spirit, is that something that you've that you've done since the beginning or was that did that come later on? I think in some levels it's been done since the beginning, uh, but it's definitely stronger now than it's ever been before, because now I believe that what I'm hearing is is, 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 is for me before mm. I would hear it. But I wasn't necessarily uh, I didn't believe to the level where you think nothing like today. Uh, I think believing that something is for you is important. I think believing that your walk uh, with Christ is an important one and that you're here for a reason. Uh, I remember receiving a gift one time and it said what was happening in the year you were born because you were sent to the world to, to clear up some of the chaos that was going on. Mm. Think about the African-American experience. We'll just focus on that one. Think about money and our misunderstanding of money. We live in a capitalist society, but we don't understand capital. So for people like me to be born, to balance that out, to create more capital in the African-American community, that's huge. And I feel like that was my calling, that I was supposed to be here. As a matter of fact, I live in the Detroit area and one of my uh, aunts named me from, who's from Detroit. And I'm being born, not having any idea that I had a destiny with Detroit, but Detroit had a destiny with me. So I come to Detroit and everything to me seems so easy when I got here. Those are her prayers that I'm walking on the prayers that she prayed when she asked God to give her a name. And she ultimately gave me that name that God gave her. So 
oftentimes we think we do things by ourselves. Seldom can we do anything by ourselves. Usually there's somebody in the background. You're standing on someone's shoulders who came way before you. So that's what I'd say to that is that I feel like I'm walking in my calling. That's why the title of this is living in your dream. Not living for your dream, living in your dream. Living in your dream. Yes, sir. So would you, so I'm at the age of, let's just take you back to, to 23. Karen just turned 23 today. I'm 23. I turned 23 last week. Uh, what were you doing at that time? What was your mindset like and what were you doing daily? Okay. I think the greatest thing at 23 for me was I was work. I was training for the Olympic team and I wanted to represent America. And I had already had visions of the Star Spangled Banner playing and me standing on the top of the podium with my gold medal in hand. Uh, that was my dream. That wasn't God's dream for me. Mm. Uh, I had plenty of friends who made the Olympic team, won the medal, stood on that podium, and I was happy for them. But that wasn't for me. But I took that energy, though, and I never stopped competing. And that's important because a lot of people take themselves, they sign themselves out the game. Instead of put me in the game, coach, they say, coach, I'm out. I never signed out the game. I just transferred that energy from track and field to wealth management. And that's the difference. What, what made you decide to do that? Because I don't know, you know, if you, if you, if you're dreaming as a kid about going to the Olympics and, and that's what you've been holding on to. And then you get to a point where that's no longer in your life is that what actually made that switch and do you ever think about did you ever think about going back later on you know like any athlete uh, i kept training till i turned 30. that's probably why my body looks the way it looks now because i kept training <laughs> till, I, till i turned 30. I, I, I didn't give up on it uh but at some point you have to have the next step you uh, you can't you know, think about athletes uh who are still playing Dwayne Wade retired last year and he retired. Why? Because his body was telling him it was time to retire. Uh, making $20 million is, 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 is good if you're Dwayne Wade, but man, if you got what you got to go through to make the money, ultimately you have to say how much money is enough. And Dwayne said, I've made enough money. Now I want to live life. So I think every athlete makes a determination as to when they're going to get out one game and move into another. One. So I looked at my five friends who made the Olympic team and I said, you know what? They, they made the Olympic team. That was God's calling for them. What can I do that's my calling? And at 30 years of age, I started really seeking my calling. Now, mind you, I worked as an insurance agent at 23. I got my license and I started working as an insurance agent, which I think was a foundation for building wealth. But I'm working that job because it was a job I could do and have free time. I, went, I, didn't, I didn't get that job because I thought to myself, uh, this is this is my future. No, I took that job because the guy said you're flexible. You work when you want to work. <laughs> of course, you don't make the money you make, but you work when you want to work. So that was a flexible job for me, but it set the foundation because I had a client walking office who I'd sold insurance to, who said I've got a half million dollars I'd like to invest. And he said I've interviewed people all over town, and I really like you. Well, I didn't have an investment for him at the time because my office only sold life insurance, but I had a license that allowed me to do investments, but no one was using it. We all got that license because we were told to get it. So I started doing my research and found out there's a company called Nuveen. They had municipal bonds that they were selling 
and those municipals were paying 15%. So I put half a million dollars of his money into those municipals. And to this day, he's a very happy man because, but it wasn't because I knew what I was doing. I just did the research. And at the time that was a guaranteed investment. And I just put him in a great guaranteed investment back in that, that time. Of course, the 15% should tell you that was back in the late eighties, almost 90. So, but I, but I got such a good feeling out of doing that for him. I want to do more of that, which led to getting my stockbroker's license. So even when I decided the track and field was great, it kept me physically fit, but let me move on to a profession that I can cling to. A stockbroker was the one because of that one client who walked in and asked me to find an investment for him. I call those angels. Angels will come along and point you in the direction that you're supposed to go in. And that's what you have to understand is that we all have angels around us. Sometimes we don't hear them. We don't see them, but they're there and they're pointing us in a direction. So at age 23, I was still trying to figure it out. And I think most people at 23 are still trying to figure it out. They haven't made a commitment yet. Now, there's some singers, there's certain people who are talented and they're well within their gift at 23 because by 33, there are very few people doing what they do. They, you know, they're tired of being on tour, da, 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 everything that goes with that if they don't pace themselves right. Uh, Beyonce might have been one who did it the best, you know, the best that ever did it. Uh, some would say Chardet was even better than her because she cut a record deal that gave her a high percentage of every sale that she made, 30% of every record sale she got it. So she showed up every 10 years to do a world tour. <laughs> but everybody knows Chardet's name. So some people just do it right. I bet you if you were talking to her and I read an interview that she did, uh, that wasn't her intent. Every time she went on, she met somebody, fell in love with him, had a child and came off a tour. And, and, and the other time she got back on tour is when she broke up. <laughs> so it wasn't like she had a, a science to her madness, you know, or to her genius. It wasn't. It was the way life dealt her a hand. She played the hand that life dealt her. I think most of us do that. We shift. Gotcha. So you took you took the same drive and work ethic that you had uh, to get to the Olympic trials and you put that into investments. Yeah. And you said that was going to be your road. Yeah. And I studied for exams and, and committed to that studying. And I made sure I didn't want to learn the information to pass the exam. I want to learn the information because somebody else walks in front of me. I want to be able to tell them what's best for them and know in my heart I've done what's best. And I think that's the difference between a 20 year old and a 30 year old and a 40 year old. If you're just doing it simply for the money, you're not going to be happy doing it. Uh, mm -hmm. I remember I had one employee come to me and she said, Mr. Dell, you know, you will take us on a vacation. You'll spend $10,000 per employee, uh, but you won't give us a $10,000 raise. And I said to her, this is an organic business. If I give everybody on staff a $10,000 raise, I've got to do that every year from now on. But if I take you on a $10,000 vacation, I don't have to take you on a vacation next year or the year after. But every time we have a good year, I can do something special that you would do for yourself if you could afford it. So it just allows me to grow the business organically. And it makes sense now that I look back some tw almost 15 years ago when I took them on a cruise, took the entire staff of 20 people on a cruise. It makes sense now uh, that we did it the way we did it, because had I gave them that $10,000 raise, Multiple at that times, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And every time I, guy who does investments, <laughs> it only makes sense. Yeah. So, so you, you just have to do everything at the right time. 
uh, let me just say this here. A client walks in with a lump sum of money. Right. Uh, I'm talking to a, a couple right now. Uh, they're about to get a million one. The first thing they want to do is go out and buy a house, two cars, live the life. The first thing I have to do is tell them that if you do that, you won't be a millionaire. Why is that? The cars are depreciating assets. You buy a $400,000 house if you keep it in that limit. But if you've got a million one, you think you can afford a more expensive house. And the thing that people don't realize is if you buy a half a million dollar house, you're supposed to spend 50% of what you spend on the house on furniture. You're supposed to walk into a half million dollar house and it looks like you living in a half million dollar house when they get on the inside. Because the house is what you buy on the outside. On the inside, the furniture gives it personality. Mm -hmm. Well, that's $750,000 you just spent. Uh, you're going to be what we call house rich and cash poor. <laughs> so I had to coach them down from buying an $450,000 house and say, hey, we can buy $300,000 or do this. We've been living in that apartment for all this time. Live in that apartment for one year. And if I earned you 20% on your money, you have $200,000 to put down on this $450,000 house. But it's earnings. It's not your principal. And you're still a millionaire liquid. So, of course, we had that conversation several times before they finally got it, before it sunk in. Because everybody knows somebody who had a lump sum of money and spent through it. And I said, hey, guys, you're on pace to be one of those people that people talk about. You know, so that, that kind of made a difference in their life. Cool. Cool. So would you. OK. Because I, I mean, I mean, I think we should just go down, got down this route a little bit more. Um, okay. say I'm say that I'm at a situation where I'm just now getting out of college and I'm I've got my degree. Say it's mm -hmm. in the medical field. I finished school all the 50 billion years you got to do to get a medical degree. <laughs> and uh, I'm deep into debt, but I've got a solid job, let's say about sixty five thousand. But I want to be I want to get to the million dollar mark. What do I need to do? All right, let me just say this here. Since you didn't say what the medical degree was in, you implied that it was maybe a physician of some type because I talked about the number of years you've spent in school. Mm. I have that client. I have that client. Uh, that client's making $400,000 a year as his base salary. He has over $600,000 in student loans. He took a part-time job to go with his full-time job. His part-time job pays him $250,000. So now he's making six fifty a year, but he's working two jobs. He didn't say I'm just going to work one job. He took that second job on, and guess what? He can do the second job at the first job. Oh, well, that's good. Yep. So because of that, he's able to. We have a plan. He will be totally out of debt in four years, and then he will be start saving money towards becoming that millionaire. But what is he living in? He rents a house that's $800 a month. He drives the same car he was driving in medical school. He was willing to sacrifice on the front. I have the saying, if you're willing to live like others are unwilling to, you'll be able to live like others are unable to. Four years from now, which will go by pretty quick, he will then move into his multi-million dollar house. He will then get his G-Wagon, Mercedes, He'll then take on those things, but he's willing to give up four years, four more years of his life to live like a student. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. that he can have for the rest of his life, whatever he desires. Because this is a guy who will literally save twenty million dollars as his career goes on. If he gets, if he can get twenty years out of his career, he'll have a lot of money to show for it. So, most people want instant gratification. That's the first seduction. See, life has different seductions that it's going to offer you. The first seduction is to make you think you're making more money than you actually make it. Now, keep this in mind: if you make one hundred thousand dollars a year, you owe the government thirty thousand. And if you live in a state with a state tax, you owe them some. So technically, a third of your money is not yours. And if you're trying to put money in a 401k and save, if you overspend, you're just turning everything upside down. Uh, the Bible is full of stories about wealth. But it's, it's, it's one of those things that grows slowly. It's not a quick, quick fix. Wealth is slow. It's slow, but slow and steady. Slow and steady is the way. So sacrifice in the short term for success in the long term. I think that's one way to say it, but I won't look at it as sacrificing. I'll look at it. Let's just say it this way. Building bricks for a house that won't get blown down by the three wolves. Straw, <laughs> sand, brick. Um, was it straw, sand and brick? What was it? Oh, straw, wood. Was it wood? Okay. Wood. No. Well, nobody would, huh? <laughs> but the one that lasts was the one built of stone, right? So you just want to make sure that you have goals and that your goals lead to something. And that's why I say, so So yes, early sacrifice, but it's really not a sacrifice. It's really more planning. Early planning leads to long-term success. Gotcha. Got so you. what does that plan look like for that, for, for that, that client that you have? What does that actual plan look like? So what is he, I guess, are you are you telling him, okay, you need to do, you need to save this much, you need to put this much right here and this much right here on top of, you need to make sure that you're not buying that car right now. Okay, so the key for us was max out the 401k, any, any employer plans where there's a match and if you're self-employed, you gotta match yourself. Mm. So you should be doing at least 10% into your deferred retirement plan, deferred plan for future. Uh, and so then after that 10%, if you have an employer and they match 3%, 4%, doesn't matter, you're gonna do 10%. And whatever they match is gravy, right? So what that plan looks like is deciding that I'm gonna have these buckets that I'm gonna save into, and I'm gonna put this money away, and that's not my money to spend. That's not my money for today, that's the future money. And you have to understand that that's your goal is you're saving for the future. Most of my clients, my average age of my client right now is 65. Most of those people have $400,000 of net worth, liquid, maybe 200,000. And many of them no longer desire to buy something for themselves. They wanna leave that money as a legacy. It's for their future. It's for their seed, their children. So they, they've already made the decision that they've gotten these things out of life that they wanted along the way. And now they wanna make sure that the next person has a chance to do the same thing, to live their dream. I live in their dream in the case, in this case. Gotcha. gotcha. So, so what would you define as success? Your happiness. What makes you happy? I don't think that's a dollar amount. I, I don't think that's an accomplishment. That's a plaque that you put on your wall. I think what makes you happy, you have to decide what that is. Because what makes one man happy might not make the next man happy. What makes one woman happy might not make the next woman happy. So you have to decide what success means to you. 
And that's why it's hard to define success openly because it means different things to different people. You know, for some people, success is having good health throughout their whole life. Some is having wealth, untold wealth. So I think somewhere there's a happy medium. I call it a work-life balance. I think you ought to live good along the way, but at the same time, there shouldn't be an emergency to come up that you can't take care of out of your savings. Because if you can't take care of it out of your savings, that means you're living above your means. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't want nice things, but nice is relative. Right. So what would you say would be some characteristics of uh, successful people? Like what what is the standard? Like they sex. If this person is successful, they 10 times out of 10 have this, this and this attribute. I would say the first one is they don't take no for an answer. That's number one is that you figure out a way to get it done. If it keeps you up at night, you're figuring out how to do it. It's like problem solving. It's like solving a puzzle. Can you imagine the first person who created the planes that we fly on today, who figured out the, you know, it didn't start out as a hard metal box. It started out as a, a as a formula on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. The ability to fly is a formula. It's a mathematical equation. <laughs> and then someone else took that mathematical equation and turned it into an airplane. So everything has to be sorted out, has to be figured out. So the first thing is you got to know what you want. And by the way, that's fluid, meaning it can change. It doesn't have to stay the same all throughout your life. Number two, you've got to surround yourself by people who have a work ethic similar to yours. You talk about how great Karen is, how wonderful she is, because she had, you see yourself in Karen. That's why she's great. Oh, yeah. Surround oh, yourself yeah. by people who have a similar work ethic to yours. You, have, you surround yourself with people who have goals that are similar to yours. So if you want to achieve something, there's nothing like sharpening your ax with someone else who's sharpening theirs and at the same time. So if you want to be a great fish, fish, fisherman, fisherman, a fisher person, fisher of. So if you want to be a great fisherman, they always say fisherman. So I'm going to go with the traditional term. Then it's nice to talk to people who know who understand lures and what catches the big fish. Because if you don't talk to them, you'll never understand. You'll, you'll try your trial and error can only take you so far. But it's nothing like talking to an expert. We, we're moving towards a world where that experts, people who specialize in something. And let me just define an expert for you. A person who's read 25 books. Because the average person only reads one book on the subject that they want to do. Or today they just go to YouTube and see how they fix it. Right. But they don't necessarily. If you want to be a vac, you know, if you want to do something great, you got to do more than one YouTube. Mm-hmm. So. It helps to get, I remember watching my uncles when I was a young boy growing up. They were auto mechanics, self-taught, but they ordered these magazines that would come to the house, tell them how to fix a carburetor, how to fix this, how to fix that. And they would read those books. Those books were worn. They weren't brand new looking over, sitting over in the corner. They were worn because they went through them and it was for them. And they each read through those books to learn how to do it. And one would remember something that the other one didn't remember. And they would, they became great mechanics. And people would bring their cars to them. And that wasn't their first job. They were their side job. So like I said about the doctor who's willing to work two jobs after spending eight years in school and then going to the hospital, working for several years for make, making $30,000 a year as an intern to learn, that's the sacrifice you've got to be willing to make. Sometimes you don't work for money. You just work for the experience because ultimately you have to take that and turn it into money. 
uh, one of the biggest jobs coming up is going to be consulting, whether it's in fashion, whether it's, it's financial consulting, even media consulting. So it's it's more of, and here's the thing. If someone says you can put things on automatic payment, most people hear automatic payment. You know what I hear? I hear recurring revenue stream. Automatic payment, recurring revenue stream. So you got to learn the language of finance, the language of money, if that's your area. But if you're in fashion, what's your recurring revenue stream? It's not every time you run an advertisement, take pictures and somebody buys from you. No, it's getting a customer to commit to spend a thousand dollars with you a year. If you get a thousand customers to commit a thousand dollars a year, you just made a million bucks in recurring <laughs> revenue. So, so, so it's just, it's, it's, Sharpening your axe with people who also have an axe to grind. Okay, if they don't have an axe to grind, then that's not necessarily the person you're going to hang with long term. Uh, my high school friends made it to college. Many of them didn't make it past college. And then my college friends, many of them didn't make it past the first 10 years of our lives. By the time we hit our 30s, many of us went separate ways. And the only thing that brought them back together was Facebook. So I'm saying it to say that not everybody you meet along your journey will be there at the end when you when you run through the tape and hit the finish line. Not everybody's going to be there for you, with you, and it's okay because you're trying to enjoy it along the way. And I think a lot of people try and carry their friends, their, their friends' baggage. They try and carry that baggage all the way through life, and they're not necessarily life friends. People come to your life for a reason, for a season, and only a few can hang around for a lifetime. Just the way it is. And the longer you try to hang on to someone who don't don't want to be hung on to, the harder you're making your life for you. So make sure that you align yourself with people who want what you want, desire what you desire, because iron sharpens iron. Gotcha. So problem solving, having a plan, and be, and making sure that plan is fluid. It doesn't have to right. be. It doesn't have to stay the same. And then right. surrounding yourself with the right people. And understand that some of those people who come in your life are your angels. But they're not necessarily there for ever. They might be there for a reason, point you in the right direction. They might be there for a season. They pointed you in the right direction. They hung around and see how you did. And they might be there for a lifetime. They've watched you grow. They've watched you become. And it's all about becoming. Because you're not there yet. No, no one is where they're going to end up. So it's all about becoming. And I've had, I do retirement planning. So I give people advice on retirement. There are people who come to my office who want to retire too early. They're 50 years old. Unless you have an income that's going to last your lifetime, that's early. But if you take a lump sum buyout and you think you're the bank and now you're loaning money to people, you know, even at 23, you already know that you've got friends who still owe you money and never gave it back, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like. So no matter how much you get, like the 1.1 couple, mm -hmm. house, cars, give our parents some money. And the first thing I said is, you haven't made any money. How are you gonna give away money? This is, you don't get a million dollar settlement for you not being hurt. You're damaged goods. And keep in mind, this money is to replace the damage that someone caused you. So if you give away that money too early, you can't go back to your parents and say, hey, I need that money back. So at that point, you gave it away. So that's why I tell people, you get a lump sum, 
grow it, spend the interest, spend the growth. Don't spend the principal. Try and hang on to the, hang on to the principal as long as possible. That's I know that because uh, that's 40 years of experience. That's how I know that. I've watched people go through money for 40 years and I've watched some come in with money and they've grown to from 1 million to 2 million to 3 million. I've watched that group and they got everything they wanted along the way. It's just timing. They bought the house after a few years. They bought that fancy car after they paid the house down or paid it off. They slow, you know, they, it was methodical the way in which you approach things. And most of my million dollar clients are, are debt free. All they have is a recurring utility bill, things like that, but they paid everything off a long time ago. So that's another lesson. You can't get wealthy through debt unless you're the one loaning the money and everybody's paying you back. You don't get wealthy through debt management. You get wealthy through asset management, not debt management. Gotcha. Gotcha. So as a business owner and as a person who has built businesses and has been making things happen for a long time, what would you say is the difference between a hustle and being a business owner? Because I, I see this a lot. Everybody is really hyped about calling themselves an entrepreneur. Everybody's really hyped about, oh man, I grind every day, all day. Like I'm, I'm, I'm out here working every single second. And then uh, they're happy about it, but they're doing all the work. And uh, one thing that I've noticed is you've never, you've never went to Steve Jobs to buy an, an iPhone. You've mm -hmm. never went to the <laughs> to uh, Bill Gates to go buy a Mac computer. And I feel like there's a reason behind that. They are business owners and the person uh, down the street who you need to talk to every single time you want that product or service, they're more hustling. Could you tell me the difference between the two? Okay. The difference is a plan. We started out talking about working in your business and working on your business. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. These are people who worked on their plan and the plan kept getting larger. That's why I said your plan has to be fluid. It's not singular, it's fluid. So I would say that the person who works hard every day, that was me in that first business that made a million dollars and I couldn't figure out how I did it. Mm. I didn't have a plan, therefore I couldn't duplicate my own success. You've got to track your numbers. You've got to know how did you do what you did. You've got to know who your clients are. That's the biggest, listen, this pandemic has done one thing if nothing else. It made restaurants realize that they don't know who their customers are. Why doesn't a restaurant have a database of all their clients? So they can send out a menu saying, this week in our pickup, we're having steak or this and it's on special. We're gonna go out and buy a thousand lobsters and we've got 3,000 clients in our database. We're buying a thousand lobsters, first come, first serve. Who wants to put a who wants to pre-order their lobster dinner? But they can't do that because they don't know who you are. That's one of the biggest mistakes that companies have made is not knowing their customer. You've got to know who your customers are. And you've got to know them because you want to serve them. You should know what Martel likes. He calls the restaurant every week and he orders a meal. That's what Martel likes. But if I'm not tracking that. I don't know that Martel likes that. So when I have these lobster specials, I can't contact Martel because I don't even know that that's, who, that's what he orders. <laughs> so you've got to know your client. And I think that's the biggest mistake that we made in the past that we cannot afford to make going forward. 
Got you. Got you. In terms of in the beginning, you were talking about uh, building up, building up certain type of formula, like a process to figure out how you did uh, get the success that you had before. So what goes into building that process, that formula for you or figuring it out? Yeah, I think you have to simply track what you're doing. Like, like I gave the restaurant example, you just have to track your customer. You have to know who your customers are. And you can't call your customers when you need money. You call your customers just to say, I'm doing a wellness check. I had one employee that's all she did from April to, to April, all of April and May was call clients to say, hi, Mr. Dell wanted me to call just to see how you were doing. Hmm. You got a mask, you need a mask, you know, what do you need? And for those who needed a mask, she put a mask in the mail to them. That was her job. Whereas there are other people out there who haven't talked to their clients since March 23rd. The client has no idea how they're doing and they don't know how their clients are doing. But I wanted to take it upon us to make wellness check calls. So you got to still be creative is what I'm saying. You've got to make sure that you stay in front of your clients because if you're not in front of them, somebody else will be. Because everybody wants what you have. Even the, listen, those guys who just say they're hustling every day, they're working a the grind. There are people out there who just wants their clients and they'll get them. Amazon, go back 20 years. Uh, you can't. Why? They didn't exist. They were just getting started. No one knew who they were. Uh, this little company called Blockbusters, they went to Blockbusters and said, can we uh, distribute your videos for you? And they're like, no, we got all these stores. People walk in. They're not going to order them online. But they did. And a company called Netflix took advantage of that. And now they're one of the biggest companies in the world. So the point is, is that if you're not doing something, somebody else will do it. Mm. And Amazon mm. started out selling tapes and books. You could buy used books, old tapes that no one wanted, music. So no one could see back then that Amazon would become the Amazon today. But it makes sense if you think about it. Once Amazon started selling products, not that they made, they didn't make anything. They still don't make any products. They just made a better way for you to get it to your house, right? So in my age group, we grew up with the Bill Gates, the people, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is my age. They were in their 60s. So they were my age. So I grew up learning the computer. By the time you were born and you grew up, the computer was second nature to you. Mm -hmm. So... The thing you had the least of is time. So if you could order something online, that Sky Media shirt that you're wearing, versus go to a store, pick it up, put the order in, go back to get it. The way it used to be done was, was took up too much of your time. Well, you don't have that kind of time. So now Amazon is delivering things. Instacart, delivering things. They're giving you back your time in exchange for what? Some of your assets, just a little bit of your money. But when you calculate it all out, you didn't have to go to the grocery store to pick up groceries. Someone else took their time to do that for you while you was working on something else. It just makes sense that as we go forward into the future, if you can give people back their time, you're providing a valuable service to them. So everybody has to look at where we're headed, but look at it from a different shade, different, shade, different view, different eyes, because it's, it's going to be different. It's not going to be the same. So even if you're creating a model today that you think is going to last you for 20 years, that model's not going to last you for 20 years. That model has. That's why I say the, the key word is fluid. 
the model has to be fluid. You have to be willing to make changes as technology changes. Because it makes sense that the malls are getting old. Who has time to go out to the mall and walk? If the mall is a mile in length, who has time to walk a mile because you want to buy some at this store, and then you're going to walk a mile to get to the other store, and then you're going to go cross? No, nobody has time for that. You could be on Amazon 30 minutes later, you got every, every product you wanted coming to you, and you got your time back. So to me, time is the essence. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So and in, in normal fashion of the show, we go with a mindset section and then a practical segment. But I think you've given a lot of practical pieces of information here today. Um, do you have anything that you would like to say that you can break down in, in a couple steps that people need to take home with them right now? Yeah. All right. So the first thing I would say is that you need to if, if you're great at being creative, Wonderful. If you're not great at being creative, hire someone who is. I think that you have to get somebody else who can just look at your situation and analyze it quick and in a hurry. Because if they've got like me, I've got all this experience with different financial situations that I've helped people get out of. And I'm not saying hire someone just as a financial consultant. I'm saying on any level, if, if, if you're the kind of person who can't put combinations together for fashion perspective, then hire somebody who's good at it. Let them give you colors because certain colors look good on people. Look, your black looks good on you. My black looks good on me. Our tones, that brings us out, makes us pop. So you've got to have someone who does it. So the future is going to be all about consulting. So the first thing I'd say is, is that know your gift. And usually your gift is something you would do for free, but you can charge for it. I've been giving financial advice since I was 12. I started charging for it too much later, but I was giving advice. Someone asked me a question. I'm happy to give you an answer. So, so the first step is, is to know what you desire to do. You got to know your dream and pursue that. Now, can everybody be anything they want to be? Magic Johnson was a great basketball player, but could he be a ballerina? Make the Olympic team as a ballerina? No. He didn't get the right body for that. And I mean, he can't do ballet. Can do it, but he could be, in a, but he couldn't be a ballerina. He, he just didn't get the right parts for that, right? Mm -hmm. So, and he's just too big. So, the key point I'm making is, is that some people will do certain things well, but they won't do them great, and they won't do them to the point where they can make a million dollars doing it. Second step: decide how much you want for whatever skill set you want to do. Some people are happy making thirty thousand dollars a year. And if you're one of those people, that's fine. But figure out how you're going to make your thirty thousand. Are you going to Are you going to have three hundred people that give you a thousand dollars? Not three hundred, thirty people. Are you going to have three hundred people that gives you less than that? So in other words, figure out how you're going to make your money. Break it down into numbers. And that's what people don't do enough of. They don't take a yellow pad out and write down the numbers. I call writing numbers down praying on paper. Many people will pray, but they won't write it down. And even the Bible tells us, write it down. So that's planning. So put it on paper. So the first step is decide what you want. Second step, write it down, put it on paper. Third step, figure out whether you can execute this plan or do you need assistance executing. So for example, when I first started my business, I bought a computer. This is in the early 80s. And I left it in a box for 15 months until I hired my first secretary because I went to a school where they didn't teach boys how to type. So not only was I intimidated by the typewriter, I was more intimidated by the computer because I never learned 
basic typing. So by the time I could afford to hire a secretary, 15 months later, she took the computer out the box, set it up, and she said, we need a software update on everything. I said, it's a new computer. And she said, yes, but it needs software that has to be updated because software updates all the time. I was like, oh. So we went out and bought new software. Now, I type a few words a minute. She types 100 words a minute. Who needs to be typing? <laughs> Probably she should. She needs to be the one doing the type. So you got to also find your place and you know find your right spot. Don't be trying to do somebody else's job. And then here's a fourth step. Who do you hire? You hire to your weakness, not to your strength. Most people hire people just like them. They can do the same things they can do. No, 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 no. You're not filling any gaps doing that. You hire to your weakness. So in that case, I hired a person who could type 100 words a minute versus me who can't. That's not my skills. That's not my gift. So I'm better off being creative and letting her type than it was or him. But in my case, it was a young lady who I hired. So you just have to learn your weaknesses as well as your strength. A lot of people don't want to take time to learn their weakness. No, you got to know your weaknesses as well as your strength because you ought to be doing the things you're strong at, the things you don't have to think about doing. They just come natural. Next thing, Henry Ford set up a factory line. Everybody had a part that they touched. Everybody, not one person touching every part. You've got to set your business up in a factory situation. What are you going to touch? What is somebody else responsible for touching? And if you'll do that system, everybody know their place. There won't be any confusion about why you didn't do this. And I thought you was going to do it. No, no. Have a system. So it has to be systematized. And then the final thing I would say is that meditation, prayer, understanding the power that's within you. You've got to have solitude. You've got to have some time where you turn the TV off, the radio off, and you get quiet and you listen to the things that you don't normally hear. There are people who've never heard the heater come on or the air conditioner come on in their house. Why? There's too much other noise going on today for them to even know that it actually makes a sound. There are people who don't know what silence sounds like because they're never in a silent situation. Well, then how are you going to hear anybody, let alone the spirit, if you're making noise all the time? So you got to get still and get quiet. And that, that really is a key secret to success that a lot of people don't participate in. Get still, get quiet. That's practical. Great. Thank you so much. <clears throat> um, usually Karen would do this part of the show, but I know you've got, I know you've got just a fire quote that you want to leave everybody with. So Mr. Liddell, could you give us the words of wisdom for the week? I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. If you're willing to do what others are unwilling to do, you'll be able to do what others are unable to do. There it is. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Martel Fletcher. This is the Young and Anointed podcast episode number eight. Today we have Mr. Ellis Liddell. Thank you so much for being here. And that's the show. Thanks. Come back next time. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time.